Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. Good evening, it's great to be with you tonight. I wonder, have you ever been around somebody who is blatantly in love? Might be a friend of yours, might be a housemate, someone like that, and they just want to chat about this person who uh, all of a sudden they've decided that they fancy them, they're obsessed with them, they want to be in a relationship with them, and they can't stop talking about that person. Can you think of a moment like that? And maybe when you think of it, like part of you thinks, like, oh, isn't it cute? But a bigger part of you probably just wants to be uh, sick. But uh, it's a thing that most of us have experienced from friends, from family, from people around us. When they get into this moment that there's just a person and this person they've decided is their everything, is the person uh, that they want to think about, the person they want to talk about, the person that they want to be around. You know, in my job, I often uh, get texts from people saying, hey, can we meet up? And uh, sometimes you just know from the way the text has been written uh, that you could go into that uh, that time and just start with the question, OK, what's her name? Uh, and they just want to unload all about it. And we might laugh about this. I think a lot of us have been there. We've been in that situation ourselves. We've had these kind of feelings, this kind of infatuation in our own life. We know what it's like. In fact, we could say that the desire for love is something that's hardwired into all of us. All of us want this sense of uh, being known, being loved, being valued, being uh, appreciated in a relationship. Now what we do with this desire, this hardwiring, will differ from one person to the next. For some people it's kind of the, the start of a relationship that's uh, all encompassing and uh, so it leads them to serial relationships. You know they'll uh, start a relationship then they'll break up and start another one and break up. It's like kind of the thrill of starting something new. For others it's just fixating on the one person and just developing this humongous crush upon them. Some people it's fantasizing or daydreaming about the one. Some people indulge in fiction and romantic movies and books and the like. We've been doing a series in the Bible on a character from the book of Genesis named Jacob. Jacob, he was an individual, he was full on in every area of his life. We've seen it in his family, we've seen it also in his relationship with God. And today we're going to see that this was true also in his love life. He was just as intense, he was just as full on and passionate in the way he approached this area of his life. We're going to be reading from chapter 29 of the book of Genesis. And uh, I'll start reading at verse 15, I'll read a bit of it, and then we'll come back and read more uh, in a little while. Then Laban said to Jacob, Because you're my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what shall your wages be? Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah. The name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Jacob loved Rachel. He said, I'll serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, it's better that I give her to you than that I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel. And they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. 
Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife that I may go into her, for my time is completed. Before we talk about what goes on now, let me just fill you in on the story so far. So this character that we've read about, Jacob, he was one of two twin boys. So his, his brother was Esau, and Jacob was the younger twin. So Esau was the one who was born first. But at the time they were born, a prophecy was given over these two boys. They would actually be um, the younger who was uh, served by the elder. So uh, it kind of flipped on its head how things normally would be. So Jacob would be the one who would inherit the birthright from the family, who would inherit the blessing that God had spoken over this family. That was prophesied before these two boys were born. And yet their dad, Isaac, had a different idea because uh, he liked Esau a lot and didn't seem to like Jacob as much. He had favourites and he wanted Esau to be the one who was given the blessing, even though this prophecy had said the opposite. Tim Keller uh, explains the effect of it this way. Isaac set his heart on Esau and favoured him all through his life. As a result, Jacob grew up rejected and resentful and turned into a schemer. Because so you can just imagine what life is like for Jacob. There's this word spoken, this destiny given, this thing that God has told him will be the case in his life. And it's like his dad doesn't want to let him have it, wants to hold it back from him, wants to give it to his brother. He said, can you imagine how he's feeling? All these longings that he would have for, for destiny, significance, security, meaning, love, purpose in the family home. He's finding it rejected uh, as his father wants to bless his brother instead. And so as Keller said, he turned into a schemer. He started thinking, well, how can I get this thing? For myself. So uh, one day he tricked his brother. His brother um, had been kind of out working and um, he wanted to give him some food. Uh, and um, Esau's like, I'm starving. I'm really super hungry. Um, but Jacob said, I'm only going to give you the food if in exchange I get the birthright. And Esau's like, I'm hungry. I'm hungry. Just give me the food. Fine. You can have the birthright. Uh, but even then, uh, having kind of got his brother to agree and having this prophecy spoken over him didn't make a difference his dad still wanted to give a blessing to, to Esau and not to Jacob so he ended up tricking his dad by now uh, Isaac was going blind and so uh, Jacob went in to see him and he put like animal skins on his arms to make them seem hairy because Esau was a hairy guy Jacob uh, had smooth skin uh, and he changed his voice to sound like Esau and he got himself smelling like Esau he, he kind of impersonated Esau he took his place before his father so uh, the the father Isaac blessed him instead so he's thinking now okay I've, I've got my brother to agree now uh, I've got this blessing from the father surely I can step into everything I've longed for I get this position I get to be head of the family home I get to be the one through whom all the blessing is worked out this is what he'd be thinking at this point in time but but the scheme came to nothing because Esau found out what had gone on and he's like, I'm going to kill you. As soon as our dad's dead, I'm going to kill you. And he had to flee. Jacob had to leg it from the family home with nothing. He had zero possessions. He had zero uh, purpose to his life now. Zero direction, zero security, significance, love. Everything he wanted and had been scheming so hard for. All his hopes had been dashed. His life was completely empty. He was drained of all of it. So he, he, he runs away and we, we found out last week when he was on the run what a difficult 
situation he was in. He was having to sleep rough. He didn't even have a rucksack to use as a pillow. He had to put his head on a stone. But eventually, uh, he meets with God. And that's, that's a powerful moment uh, for him. A significant moment in his life. Um, but having met with God, he carries on his journey. And the place that he's going to uh, is his mother's family. Because um, kept running away from home, didn't know anybody. If, if I turn up at my mum's my brother's house, at least there's some kinship. At least there's a reason why they'd let me in and have something to do with me. So I'll go and see if, if going there is helpful. So he turns up there and uh, he finds that uh, the main guy, the head of the house there is Laban. Now Laban is his uncle. And Laban sees Jacob arriving and sees an opportunity here. There's a, a young guy here who could be helpful uh, looking after his herds of flocks and uh, he'd like Jacob to stay and be around. And so they have a conversation. What what would it take, Jacob? What, what would your wages be? What, I, I'll offer you a job. What would you want in return for doing this job, helping me look after my sheep and my goats? And uh, Jacob's answer was pretty immediate. He says, look, the thing that I want to do this is Rachel. You see, when he first got there, he'd met Rachel uh, by a well. And Rachel was Laban's daughter. And uh, as soon as he met her, he'd fallen for her. The text says that she was lovely in form and beautiful. And that means what you think it means. It means she was attractive. She was hot. It means he fancied her and wanted to be with her. And so when Laban made this offer, he says, yeah, I, if I can marry your daughter, I will work for you. Now, in those days, it was usual that uh, someone uh, who, who was marrying the daughter uh, of a bloke would pay a, a bride price. And uh, what Jacob said here is, I'll work for you for seven years. He's got way above the usual thing that was quoted. But that's because all of his longings, all of the, the emptiness, all of the desires for, for love and meaning and purpose and security and everything that he desired. It's like he's looked at Rachel and he's kind of concentrated all those desires on her. My life is empty and my life is meaningless, but if I can have her, things will change. If I can have her, life will be worth living again. Here's a man who's lovesick and who's overwhelmed. And so Laban agrees. And so Jacob now has seven years that he needs to work and work hard and work faithfully and do his job. And he, he does it because he's got his eyes set on Rachel because he wants to be with her because he's in love with her. And by the end of these seven years, it's like he's ready to explode. Do you see the words that he said? Give me my wife that I may go into her for my time is completed. And that means what you think it means as well. One of the commentators said this statement is so blunt, so graphic and so sexual, so over the top and inappropriate and non-customary that over the years, Jewish commentators have had to do all kinds of backpedalling to explain it. It's not hard to explain its meaning, though. The narrator is showing us a man driven by and overwhelmed with emotional and sexual longing for one woman. So the story here is telling us about a guy who's totally empty, whose life's a complete void, and he's looking to romance to fill the void. And you know, that's a really, really dangerous place to be in. Really dangerous. Uh, I don't know if you've ever, um, when you've talked to people who, who are talking about this person 
they found. So I don't know if this has ever been the case where you know that this person in life, they're feeling uh, empty. They're feeling like uh, their life is going nowhere. They're frustrated and uh, nothing's quite together. And, and like the void, they're trying to fill it by the way they look to this person romantically. It's such a dangerous place to be. And it's putting such a pressure on this person that they just could not live up to. You know, if that person doesn't feel the same way and the relationship doesn't happen, the person's setting themselves up for devastation. And if the relationship does happen, it's putting really bad foundations on it because it's, it's putting a pressure on this person to deliver something they would never be able to deliver. But that's Jacob and that's the desire that he has for Rachel. Well, let's read on and we'll pick it up again in verse 21. And Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife that I may go into her, for my time is completed. So Laban gathered together all the people of the place and made a feast. But in the evening he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob and he went into her. Laban gave his female servant Zilpah to his daughter Leah to be her servant. In the morning, behold, it was Leah. Jacob said to Laban, What is this you've done to me? Did I not serve with you? For Rachel, why then have you deceived me? But Laban said, it's not so good in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Complete the week of this one, and we'll give you the other also, in return for serving me another seven years. Jacob did so, and completed her week. Then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his female servant Bilhah to his daughter Rachel to be her servant. So Jacob went into Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah, and served Laban for another seven years. So Jacob has turned up, and he's desperate. He's longing, he's hungry for something in life, and he's got this complete fixation on Rachel. And Laban sees this, and sees here's an opportunity. I, I, I can get more than this guy's agreed to, even though the seven years that Jacob offered was way more than the going rate. Laban um, thought I could actually exploit this guy for even more because originally when Jacob suggested seven years Laban didn't say yes. Now Jacob heard a yes but all Laban said is it's better that I give her to you than any other man stay with me. It wasn't kind of quite a yes seven years signed sealed and delivered and Laban played him. Laban tricked him. Now Jacob was the trickster and we saw in those earlier stories about how Jacob tricked his father. How as the youngest son he took the place of the elder. And here Laban's done a similar trick on him where Jacob thought he was getting the younger daughter so in her place he was given the elder. Again you, you've got this kind of two siblings being switched uh, and Jacob originally he was the one who initiated such a trick. Now he's on the receiving end of it. Because what happened is he, he got to the wedding night, he got to this uh, moment that for seven years he'd been longing for. And Laban threw a party, a great party, loads of food, uh, loads of music and loads of alcohol. Uh, and Jacob would have had his fair share of the alcohol. Uh, and then uh, by the end of the, the party, uh, he, he would go into this tent that had been set up. And there in the tent, so he thought, was his bride wearing a veil and he went and he consummated the marriage. He fell asleep, woke up the next morning, looked, and there in the tent with him was not the woman that he thought he'd married Rachel, but it was her sister Leah there instead. 
He'd been done. He'd been had. He'd married the wrong sister. Let's talk about Leah for just a moment. Now, when it was describing Rachel as beautiful in form, uh, all it says about Leah is that she had weak eyes. Now, that's not saying she needed to go to Specsavers. That, that was a euphemism. It's saying she was unattractive. She didn't have the same beauty that Rachel had. And so, whilst there were men like Jacob who would look at Rachel and think, this is someone I want to marry, there weren't people saying that about Leah. That was a bit of a problem for Laban. He wanted to marry off his daughter. He wanted her out of the family home and married to a bloke, but there wasn't anyone who was interested. So we've got this uh, girl, Leah, the, the girl that nobody wanted. Her father wanted to marry her off, but couldn't find anyone. None of the guys wanted her. This bloke, Jacob, shows up. He's obsessing over her sister. Probably other guys have done the same in the past, and she's there unnoticed, unwanted, and unloved. She'd spent her life living in the shadow of her beautiful younger sister. So from Jacob's point of view, he's built up all these expectations. He's got this kind of dream in his mind that when I'm with Rachel, life will be fine. All the longings, all the emptiness, everything that's wrong will go away because I'll have Rachel. And then he wakes up and he finds he doesn't have Rachel. He has Leah. He has something other than what he wanted. He's disillusioned. He's disappointed. His hopes have not been fulfilled. That's the reality of his situation. What he wanted was Rachel and what he ended up with was Leah. Now, as I say this, I just want to say, please don't hear any disrespect to Leah. She is incredible. She's my favourite character in this story. We're going to come back to her in just a minute. This isn't saying anything about her, but in Jacob's eyes, the problem with her is basically she's not Rachel, because Rachel's the one he really wanted. But you know what, even if it had been Rachel who he'd woken up next to that morning, even then, it would have been a disappointment. When he got to know the real person, there's no way she could have lived up to what he'd built her up to be in his mind. There's no way that she could have brought meaning and purpose and security and significance and love and everything that he was hungry for. That's more than any human can give. And don't we often find our experience can be just like Jacob's? Isn't that often the way? We'll build up our hopes, we'll set our desires, all our affections will be on something. And we think that life will fall into place somehow when we get it. And the reality leaves us broken and disappointed and disillusioned. Like, like him, it will be Rachel that we long for and Leah that we get. Now that may be in romance, it may be uh, the partner that we were hoping for. Turns out not quite to be uh, as we pictured them. Could be a dream job that we've spent years training for and trying to get. And when we start doing the job, it's not quite how we imagined it. Could be that move to a different place that we thought uh, we'd just totally outsaw uh, everything. But we brought our problems with us. You see, when we view something in this way, the Bible uses the category of idolatry. It's when we're looking to something else for what only God can deliver. And when we do that, it always tends to end up hollow and flat. And the reason for that is because uh, the Bible tells us God has put eternity into the heart of man. He's put longings in our soul that cannot be fulfilled in this world. That cannot be fulfilled by the temporary things that we see here. It's often been described as there's a God-shaped hole in the soul of man. 
And so when Jacob's looking to Rachel and when we're looking to our romantic relationships or our work life or whatever it may be to fulfill a God-shaped hole, it, it cannot deliver. And that should be no surprise to us that we end up disappointed and disillusioned when we're looking to the things of this world to fulfill something that only God can give us. How often do we do it, though? It's what Jacob did, isn't it? But let's come back to Leah, because for her, just think about her story. Think about all the pain that her life would have involved. Think about what it would have felt like growing up and realising that nobody wanted her, nobody noticed her, and nobody loved her. Growing up in her father's home uh, and feeling like uh, she was just kind of getting in the way uh, and he wanted to marry her off. And he had to trick somebody into marrying her to get rid of her. Think about what it was like looking at her sister and realising that life for her wasn't the same as what life was like for Rachel. Think about seeing this guy Jacob come along and just obsessing over Rachel. It's a difficult life that Leah would have lived. And it's understandable, isn't it, how she would want to feel loved and feel noticed and feel heard and feel appreciated for who she is. And so when we get to the point in the story that Jacob's there and that Jacob is married to Leah now, it's like all these desires, all these longings, all these things that she wanted, they now found their uh, object in Jacob. He was the one if he would notice her, if he would love her, if he would appreciate her, if her husband would finally notice her and want to be around her, then maybe her life would be better. You see, what Rachel was for Jacob, now Jacob had become this for Leah. And being loved by him had become her fixation. But as we've seen, as we talked about Jacob, this was always going to disappoint. Because just like we have a God-shaped hole and Jacob had a God-shaped hole, so the longings that Leah was trying to fulfil were God-shaped as well. But the reason why I said she's my favourite character, the reason that I looked for her rather than any of the other characters in this, more than Jacob, more than Rachel and more than Laban, is she's the one person in this story who goes on that journey where her desires aren't just trying to find an earthly fulfilment, but she, she goes on that journey of looking to God, finally, to fulfil her deepest longings. We'll pick up the story again in verse uh, 31 and read to the end of the chapter. This is about uh, the children that Leah had. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb. But Rachel was barren, and Leah conceived and bore a son. And she called his name Reuben. And she said, because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. She conceived again and bore a son. And said, because the Lord has heard that I'm hated, he's given me this son also. She called his name Simeon. Again, she conceived and bore a son. And said, now this time my husband will be attached to me. Because I've borne him three sons. Therefore his name was called Levi. And she conceived again and bore a son. And said, this time I will praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah. Then she ceased bearing. Can you see how her journey is borne out in the names that she gives these four sons that she has? When she has her first son and she chooses a name for the son, she chooses the name Reuben. And Reuben means 
because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. Doesn't that tell you something about where she's at? She's still feeling unloved. And she thinks because she's given Jacob a son, maybe finally she'll get some love from him. Maybe finally she'll win over his affections. But it doesn't seem to be the case. Because when the next son is born, he's named Simeon. The Lord has heard I'm hated. He's given me this son too. She still feels hated. She still feels unwanted in her own home. Again, she's in the way. Jacob wanted to be with Rachel. And there's Leah just kind of loitering around. She feels hated. She feels unloved. And then the third son is born, Levi. Now this time, my husband will be attached to me. Because I've borne him three sons. But still no. Finally, the fourth son, Judah, is born. And instead of the names that she's given to those earlier sons about a longing for affection from her husband or feeling hated, she's turned her eyes, not to Jacob this time, but to God. This time, I will praise the Lord. You see, now she's not looking to something on this earth for what only God can fulfil. She's turned her eyes to God and she's giving praise to God. And this is the solution. This is the escape route from this predicament. And this is why I love Leah so much. She's the one person in the story who goes on that journey. We all have longings. We all have desires, significance, love, meaning, security, acceptance, affection. We all want these things. That's the human condition. And many of our lives are full of bouncing from one thing to another, to another, to another, trying to find something that will meet these needs, fulfill these desires, and finding that one after another after another, they disappoint, they leave us feeling hollow and flat and empty. But Leah found the escape route. The escape route is looking to God for what only God can deliver. Filling that God-shaped hole with God himself. This time, I will praise the Lord. Over a thousand years after this encounter where Jacob met Rachel at a well and ended up married to her and married to Leah, a descendant of Jacob, Jesus Christ, met another woman at Jacob's well. And they had a conversation. And in this conversation, Jesus found out that this woman, just like many of the characters in the story that we've looked at today, had deep, desperate longings for something. You see, she'd had a, a string of failed marriages. Five marriages, five husbands, and none of them had worked out. And now she was living with another guy. Just like the characters that we've seen, she was looking to romance, to fulfil a deep thirst for her soul but Jesus told her there was a, a water of eternal life that in knowing the Messiah in finding eternal life in him there's something deeply fulfilling and quenching to the soul and Jesus offered that to her and she found new life in him the only place that you can find the meaning and security and significance and love that you crave that won't leave you disappointed, is doing what Leah did, turning to God, doing what that woman at the well did, looking to Jesus. Then your thirst will be quenched as you set your heart upon him. Nothing on this earth can deliver. So today I want to issue you an invitation, an invitation to go on that journey. I'm not saying don't have desires. I'm not saying don't look for love and romance and get involved in relationships, not at all, these are good things. 
But what I'm saying is don't look to those things for what only God can give. Look to God, the author and perfecter of life. He can fill the void. Meeting with him can satisfy you in a way that nothing else can. Why don't you look to him today?